Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here with us today at Schweitzer. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time joining us for worship, we wanna give you a very special welcome. If you'll check in with us and provide an email address, we'll send you a gift card this coming week and coffee is on us. This is week five of our sermon series about David. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. And speaking of the sermon, you'll find sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's Jen to tell us about our announcements. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. So glad you're here today. I'm Jen Brown. Just want to share some things that are coming up. It's hard to believe June is wrapping up, but that means the deadline for submitting your garden paver is fast approaching. This Friday, June 30th is the last day you can submit information for a custom garden paver for our prayer garden. If you'd like to have a paver placed in honor or in memory of someone, please stop by the blue booth to fill out that form or go online to schweitzer.church pavers. And then coming up on July 6th, we have our next second season lunch and we have an exciting panel that will be speaking. Here's Ed to share a little bit more. Hi, Ed Gakey here. I'm thrilled I get a chance to share my story about donating a kidney earlier this year. I'm with a whole team of people that have been affected by this type of life-giving donation. So I hope you'll come. It's Thursday, July the 6th, about 11.30 in the morning. Sign up now at schweitzer.church slash second season. It's going to be great. Hope to see you there. Thanks, Ed. That will be a great way to kick off July. And speaking of July, we have more ways you can get involved and connected. One of those is through our night of worship on July 16th at 6 p.m. So excited because our modern worship team is going to be leading the night with prayer, worship. It'll be an encouragement for your soul throughout the summer. And we hope to see you there. And then at the end of the month, on July 30th, we are again celebrating River Baptisms in Ozark. This is a great opportunity for everyone to come out in our church, whether you're being baptized or you just want to cheer someone on, we invite you to come and celebrate with us. If you have been considering baptisms, be sure to talk with our staff or a pastor to let us know that you'd like to be part of that day. And one last thing, next Sunday is another Family Worship Sunday. We won't be having kids' classes, but you're welcome to bring your kids with you as we all worship together. Thank you again for being here today. Now let's continue with worship. Thanks, Jen, for those great announcements. We want to invite you to join us for any or all of these great events. We would love to have you with us, and you can find out more about them at schweitzer.church next. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And if you're in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you in the prayer room right now. Just press that prayer button and we'll be right with you. And now, let's continue in worship. say thanks for the things you have done for me, things so undeserved, yet you give to prove your love for me, the voices of a million angels. 
my gratitude All that I am and ever hope to be I owe it all to Thee To God be the As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Holy God, we're in awe of you. We thank you for who you are and for the blessings that you give to us every day. Father, we fail to say thank you, but right now we wanna take a moment just to show our gratitude for all that you do for us. And God, today as we hear the sermon, we know that there are issues and problems that are to be dealt with, and sometimes we tend to run from those problems. God, we know that you're there for us, so we're gonna lay those issues at your feet. We're gonna let you take care of those because you are our rock, our strength, our shield, and our fortress. We rely on you. We're thankful for the gift of your love and your care. And God, we wanna pray today for those people who are hurting, those who are ill, those who are dealing with difficult life situations, those who are just lonely, God. We wanna be there for those people. And we know that you've blessed us to be a blessing to others. So we ask you to give us your power, your strength, your energy, and your love as we share that with those around us. We thank you for the opportunity to share your love with others. Lord, as we continue in prayer, we want to pray the prayer that your son gave to us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, I wanna share with you about a great thing that recently happened with our Schweitzer Student Ministry. We sent a wonderful group of kids and adults to Christ in Youth Camp last week in Ohio. They had a tremendous time exploring their faith, having fun together and traveling together. And we've got a great video to show you about what happened in that week. That looks like so much fun. And it's because of your generosity that this was able to happen. Thank you so much for supporting our student ministry and so many other things that happen at Schweitzer Church. Because of you, several of these students were able to attend Christ in Youth Camp 
on a scholarship. Thank you so much for your support and your kindness. I want to remind you that you can give online at schweitzer.church give. Thank you for your support. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with week five of our sermon series on David. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Today is part five of our series on one of the most influential and important people in the whole Bible, and that's King David. We are spending all summer long exploring his story um, as we go deep into, into learning from him and from his life. Now, we're in a part of David's story right now where there's a lot more uh, downs than there are ups, which is somewhat true of what the faithful life is like as well. Sometimes you go through seasons of life where there's more downs than there are ups. There are more setbacks than there are victories. And so we think about David's story, how it how it opens. We started this a few weeks ago. In week one of this series, we saw how David was anointed as king of Israel in a secret ceremony when the prophet Samuel comes to town and calls him in from the fields and says that, Man looks at the outward behavior, uh, outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And, and so there's something about David's life where, where David was going to be anointed king. He's at that point, maybe 13, 14, 15 years old. And then as time goes by, David is waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And so he's not anointed, not, not fully uh, becoming king until maybe he's 30, 31, 32 years old. And so you have this gap in time from when the promise is given to when he sees it come into fruition. And that gap is long, maybe as long as almost 20 years as he's waiting and waiting and waiting for the promise to be true, the promise of God and yet waiting for it to come into fruition. And it's not like in this waiting period that uh, life is just happening. No, 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 David is experiencing deep, deep opposition. And so that's what we're picking up today. David is experiencing deep, deep opposition while he waits for the promise of God to come and be true and be made into fruition. Last week, we looked at uh, the relationship between uh, David and Jonathan, this legendary friendship where if it really wasn't for Jonathan, because of all the opposition that's coming to David, David would not have become the person that he does. And so we're going to pick up um, in that story, First uh, Samuel chapter 21, David is on the run. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. And uh, here's how it goes. It says, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the, the priest. And David is going there because he's heading away from Saul. He's running away from King Saul because King Saul is trying to kill him. So Saul is sending men after him. There's enemies all around. And yet David is living you know, with this promise of the kingdom. So Ahimelech trembled when he met him and he said, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David is, you know, all alone because he's on the run. And so he answers the priest and he tells him a different story than what reality is that he's running from Saul. And he says this to the priest, he says, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? What do you, what do you have to give me? Give me, you know, five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Now the priest goes on and he tells them that, you know, this is a holy place. This is a temple. We don't, we don't really have much. We have some holy bread here that's used in rituals for worship, but it's not meant for to be given to, to people to eat. But 
you know, David is, is desperate and, and he's like, you know, I'll take anything you have and I'll, and I'll say anything you want me to say so that I can get whatever it is you have because I'm just, I'm desperate. He is, he is at his lowest. And so the priest gives him this, this sacred, sacred bread and, and he gives it to David. And while he gives it to David, there's a, someone who's loyal to Saul who sees this happen and he goes back to report to Saul what he sees. And that's what we're going to pick up next week. And I'll just give you a foreshadowing. It, it doesn't go well. Well, the most interesting thing that happens in the story is that, is that David isn't just there for bread. And so David, again, he asked the priest, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was so urgent. Not, not quite the truth. Verse nine, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here, but that one. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. So that day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Gath, by the way, was referenced in 1 Samuel 17, week two of this series, as the hometown of Goliath. So it's interesting that in back-to-back references, we have two references here, really back-to-back, that are referencing David's great victory. The sword of Goliath, and then David runs off to Gath, the hometown of Goliath. It's as if, as if the, the author is trying to remind us, hey, do you remember when David's life was up and up? Do you remember when he was experiencing all these great victories and had all these successes? And, and well, now look at him. Look how far he's fallen. I mean, he's on the run. He's all by himself. He's lying to priests in order to just get whatever it is he can get because life is just imploding around him. He is so low at this point. He can't even live in Israel. He has to go on the run and live among the enemies of Israel. So verse 11. He's in Gath, uh, the, the king um, of Gath, Achish is there, and it says, but the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And this is what the people of Israel had um, sang after David's great victory over Goliath when he um, served in Saul's court and enjoyed um, success. And this brings us to verse 12. And listen to this description of David. Verse 12. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he's in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at this man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down there to meet him. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. And from there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him as long as David's in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. So this is David, the one who's been anointed to be king of Israel, the one who wrote the majority of the Psalms, the one who defeated Goliath. And do you remember what he said when he defeated Goliath in this great moment of victory? He said things like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who comes to defy the word, the, the armies of the living God? He said things like, 
Like you come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This is, this is, this is David who is now hiding in caves. He's on the run. He's pretending to be insane in order to uh, deflect any sort of attention on him. This is, this is David who at a very young age commanded the armies of Israel and yet now he's got no one around him except the, the desperate and the discontent who come to surround him, those who are in debt. This is, this is David. It is shocking how far he's fallen, especially in such a short amount of time. It's an amazing fall. So, so David, who had no fear in facing Goliath, the Bible now says about him that he was very much afraid. Not a little bit timid, not a little bit scared, not a little bit nervous, not like I got butterflies or, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, losing a little bit of sleep. No, no, the Bible, what it described was I was, he is very much afraid. How is this the same person who went to face Goliath with nothing but five smooth stones and a sling? And now he's very much afraid. How do we make sense of this? Well, thankfully we actually know what David was thinking and feeling as he went through this because we have his prayer journal. So not only in the Bible do we have his the events of his life in First and Second Samuel, we also have his prayer journal, the book of Psalms, the longest book of the Bible. And there is a, a prayer, a song that David wrote specifically about this experience of hiding in Gath, pretending to be insane. Let's go read it. It's Psalm 56, and we're going to start at the very beginning, even before verse 1. Here's how it begins. It says, For the director of music, to the tune of a dove on distant oaks, whatever that is, of David, he's the author, a miktam, some sort of reference there to musical notes. No one knows what that means. And then he says, here's the description, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. In other words, here is the song that David wrote when he was uh, so desperate he had to pretend he was crazy and had saliva running down his beard and had to make claw marks on the door in order to pretend that, that no one would come against him. Verse 1. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. This is, of course, what we've seen so far. My adversaries pursue me all day long. Their pride, in their pride, many are attacking me. And so you, you put yourself in David's shoes again. Remember, he's got this promise of, from God that looks like um, it's not going to be fulfilled. And, and, and so he's, all he sees around him is brokenness, opposition, enemies. And then listen to these next two verses, verse three and four. He says, when I am afraid, let's say it again, when I am afraid, David, let's think about that, this great man of God, a man after God's own heart, listen to his confession, when I am afraid. Some of us, we feel guilty because we're afraid. We're facing things that make us afraid. But look at this. We, we see David who stood up to Goliath saying, when I am afraid. So what makes David so great is that, yes, he's afraid. He confesses it. He acknowledges it. But this is not the end of the story. So when I am afraid, I Put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Well, they can do a lot. Here's, here's a few things. Verse five, all day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. And I'm sure we could probably name some other things that mortals could do to us. I mean, they could, you know, fire us, they could uh, be violent against us. They could abuse us. They can malign us. They can, they can divorce us. They can break their word. I mean, they can, they can do all kinds of things. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about what mortals can do for us. But, but even though mortals can do so much against us, even though people can harm us in so many ways, David puts these mortals in God's hands. So verse seven, uh, because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. 
In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery, list my tears in your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. And by this, I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. So at David's lowest, when he's afraid and pretending to be insane, making claw marks on the doors, having his his mouth foam like a uh, rabid dog, he writes about how he can still trust God. I think one of the things I I love most about reading David's story is that there's so much about it that's totally unrelatable. I mean, David lived 3,000 years ago, different culture, different language. He was a king. He faced a giant. I mean, he was a warrior. There's so much about his life that is not at all relatable, including this. He was on the run. He had to hide in caves. He had to pretend to be insane in order to get out of trouble. Like, there's so much about his life that I have no idea what that is. Um, and, And yet at the same time, like, I don't know what it is to, to be on the run like this for my enemies, but I, I do know what it is to be afraid. And so it's like, it's unrelatable, but it's incredibly relatable because I know what it is to be afraid and I know what it is even to be like very afraid. And this is what I love so much about the Bible is that it's just so, so real. I mean, David's struggle here, like I know what that feels like and so do you. We all know what it feels like to face things where the promise of God seems so far away and we're afraid of what's gonna happen. And, and yet, like we, we have this, this way of relating to this because we all know what this is. And, and yet, as you read the Bible, fear never has the last word. Fear never has the last word. And so the Psalm that David writes, as he's you know, hiding out in this cave in Gath, pretending to be insane, has some incredibly solid and practical teaching in here about how to overcome fear because fear never has the last word. So there's some great teaching here. I don't know if you caught it or not. It's in verse three and four, really goes into some practical steps that you and I can take in order to, to overcome fear. And so let's go back to this. Psalm 56, verse three and four. We're gonna do a little Bible study here, go real deep in some Bible study. Um, but uh, these two verses are just incredibly wise in, in teaching us how to overcome fear. So one more time, let's read these again. Verse three. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. Now, there is a style of writing in the Bible that you see in lots of different places where, where um, the most important idea that is in, you know, whatever it is you're reading is, is driven towards the middle. And, and essentially what you find is that in this um, style of writing that you'll have corresponding ideas that will kind of funnel in and funnel out, driving you towards a, an idea that's in the middle of the writing. And we see this really clearly here in um, Psalm 56, 3 and 4, driving us to an idea that we really need to cling to with some corresponding ideas that funnel and funnel out. So let me show you kind of what I mean here. So I want you to notice these uh, verses here um, start and stop kind of in the same place, talking about fear. So it starts off with, when I am afraid, and it ends with, I am not afraid. So there's a movement here from when I am afraid to I am not afraid. So there's a movement here from fear to not fear. And you can see how these two ideas correspond with how it's written. And so you go, you know, one layer in, you're going to see another set of corresponding ideas that then tell us, well, how do you move from being afraid to not afraid? Well, the next layer in says this, 
I put my trust in you. In God, I trust. Those are the two corresponding ideas as you move in just a little bit more. So how do you go from being afraid to not afraid? Well, a pretty key part of this is, is trust. You trust God. And, and, and that's a little bit trite to say that, right? How do you overcome fear? Well, you just, you just trust God. And I, I, I know that that's uh, trite because that's a lot easier said than done. You know, if you're afraid, you're facing something that's overwhelming to you and you just said, ah, you just got to trust God through that. I mean, I, I know that that feels, you know, a little trite and cliche because like, well, okay, how do I do that? Because trust is always something that happens in difficult times. I mean, the whole idea of trust is irrelevant unless you're in a situation that requires trust. Like you're out on a limb and you're, and you're facing something that's scary and you're not sure if you're, where you're standing is solid. Like that's only the times where it takes trust. So how do you develop that muscle that can trust God even in the midst of things that, yeah, man, they're, they, they feel scary. So how do you do this? Well, let's go one more layer in and we see a very practical helping. It's been driving us towards this. Because the next layer in, there's no corresponding idea, which tells us in Psalm 56, 3 and 4, that this is the crux of the matter. That this is, this is really it is. This, this is how you do this. And so what is the very center of this thought is this. In God, whose word I praise. In God, whose word I praise. So how do I go from being afraid to not afraid? Well, I trust God. And how do I do that? How do I build that muscle? What's the key to trusting God? And very simply, what we see here is the word of God. The, the word of God. That's what, that's what David teaches us here. So David, who knows a thing or two about being afraid, who knows a thing or two about overwhelming odds and situations that are way over his head, what he teaches us here with this, with this wave he's riding is to tell us here that the way to trust God, the way to move from being afraid to not being afraid is to rely on the word of God. When you base your life on the word of God, when you stand on the word of God, it does not matter what you face. The word of God is able. The word of God is strong. The word of God is dependable. The word of God is a firm foundation. It will not let you down. This is how you go from being afraid to not afraid. In our fear, we have to come back to standing and resting and relying on the word of God. This is how you do it. So let me show you this in action. And let's go to one of my favorite places you see this in the Bible. It's Acts chapter 16. I think this is an incredible, incredible scene that we have here. This is Paul and Silas. They're in prison in Philippi. Um, it's an amazing story how they get there because when they show up in Philippi, this Greek city, there's no Christian community. They meet this woman named Lydia by the river. She comes to faith quite miraculously. There's a demon possession that the girl gets uh, delivered from. Another girl gets delivered from. It's just amazing. People start coming to the Lord in faith. And it's just, it's just amazing. Like just this great move of God, but it also causes opposition. So there's a, a riot that starts and that leads to Paul and Silas being arrested, which leads to them... Um, being in a very, very scary, overwhelming situation. And here's how we read this. This is Acts 16, verse 22. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, not just uh, beaten up a little bit, severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, put yourself in their position, what would you do? How do you respond if this is you? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to assume anything about you, but I would guess that for most of us, 
our response would be very much afraid. That's our response. You know why? Because we're people and we're facing an incredibly hard situation. Of course, we're going to be afraid. This is a scary thing. But here's how Paul and Silas respond. And I think this is just beautiful. Verse 25. So it's about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were, were listening to them. This is their response. They're in the cell. They've been severely flogged. I'm sure they've got bloody backs and they're sore and they're not sure what the tomorrow brings and what are they doing. They're singing hymns and praying to God. Now, for a first century Jew, you know what that means to be singing hymns? It means to be singing the Psalms. That's what they would have been doing. That would have been their prayers. That would have been their hymnal. This is the Psalms. This is how they, they worked. And so what they are doing in the inner cell here is that they are singing the word of God. Their prayers are probably reciting the Psalms. So they're praying the Psalms. This is what they would have done. And so their prayers are not like, you know, dear God, if you can just get me out of this one, whew, I promise I'll never do X, Y, or Z again. No, no, no. They would be coming back to singing and praying the word of God. This is, this is what they're doing. So in the midst of this incredibly scary situation, Paul and Silas, they find themselves relying, resting, trusting in the worship, God, uh, the word of God. And the result of this is that they can worship even in the midst of something that is absolutely overwhelming. You see, the reason why praying, singing, standing on, trusting, resting in the word of God, the reason why this is able to overcome our fear is because when you come back to the word of God, what you're doing is you are refocusing your attention. And you're refocusing your attention away from your circumstances, and especially away from your inner turmoil, your own, your own negative emotions, and you're refocusing onto the truth. And that's so key here. You're refocusing onto the truth. Now, a lot of people will tell you, you know, when you face things that are overwhelming and you find yourself afraid, a lot of people will encourage you uh, to, you know, refocus maybe onto positivity or optimism. And so you might have people, you know, advise you to, you know, look on the sunny side or, or look for the silver lining when you go through things like that, as if optimism and positivity were enough. But, but what you really need is more than just optimism and positivity. What you really need to overcome fear is you, is you need the truth. You need to remind yourself of, of what is true. And what is true, of course, is found in the Word of God. And if you, if you don't do that, otherwise, the result is that your brain is just going to overwhelm you and you're going to get out of control with all kinds of, you know, what might happens or what should happens or what could happens or what I wish would happens. And this is what just starts to, to dwell and to dra uh, drain us and to just fill us with more and more fear. But as you rest on the Word of God, as you return to the Word of God, you are going to find something that is solid and trustworthy and true and dependable and a firm foundation that is something that you can rely on even when there's this gap between the promise of God and the time it takes for it to be fulfilled. The great Eugene Peterson, he, he wrote this incredible book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Um, I highly, highly recommend this book. Um, but one of the things he writes in this, in this book I find to be so wise, he says this. He says, feelings like, you could say fear, are great liars. If Christians worshiped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. Feelings are important in many areas, but completely unreliable in matters of faith. I love that. What is reliable in matters of faith? What is reliable in life? What is reliable is the Word of God. Your feelings are going to go one way or another. It's going to happen based on what's, what's uh, circumstantially taking place in your life. But, but the Word of God is unchanging. 
the Word of God is true. It is vitally important, therefore, that we spend time with it. It's vitally important, therefore, that we learn it. It's vitally important that we study it. It's vitally important that we hide in our hearts, that we memorize it. It's vitally important that we fill it with our, in our minds so that when we face our trials and our storms, we can come back to that and we can find rest, we can find something stable, we can find something sturdy. This is what David tells us to do. How do you move from fear to not fear? You come back to the Word of God, the Word of God. And the reason the Word of God can refocus us, the reason the Word of God is the antidote to fear is because the Word of God is what's true and your fear is always a liar. Let's pray. And so Father, today we think of this story of David as he's moving from fear to not fear, as he's in this uh, incredibly down place in his life, and yet, Lord, we find ourselves in so often in this place. We have the promise of God, and yet sometimes life is around us and it looks like the, there's no chance of this coming into fruition. And so Father, today we wanna return to what is true. And for some of us, we need to be reminded today of what's true. We need to be reminded of the truth that we are loved the truth that you created us, the truth that you are sovereign, the truth that we are never alone, the truth that you are always with us, the truth that you are victorious, the truth that we will live in eternity in eternal glory with you, the truth that you care for us and call us your children. Lord, we need to return to the truth because otherwise fear can run wild in our minds and it can fill us with all kinds of deception and lies and things that are unreliable. And so Father, today, would you speak into our lives, speak into our hearts, speak into our minds, and remind us again of what is true. And here's what's ultimately true, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified and resurrected and invites us into life with him. And so for anyone who's with us today and doesn't know this hope, this truth that is found in Jesus Christ, we wanna offer just a simple invitation, a simple prayer, where we used to say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? a very simple way of crossing this line of faith to rest in what is true. Lord, would you encourage us and challenge us and lead us to, to invest our lives in the word of God, to, to spend time in the Bible, to learn what it is that you have for us, to memorize it, to study it, to, to commit ourselves to this because this is ultimately what is true about life is what you have told us. And so Lord, we wanna be faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you love us. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. I wanna thank the team that made this service possible and in particular, thank Pastor Spencer for his powerful message. If you know someone that would benefit from this message, we invite you to like and share it on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we invite you back next week for week six of our sermon series on David. Have a great week. Yeah.